Hi everyone, welcome back to the Caffeinated Brown Girl podcast. My name is Pallavi and I am the host of the show. I'm so so excited to start season 3 with today's episode with Farzana Doctor. Um Farzana is a Toronto-based author of four novels, Stealing the Screen, 6 Meters of Pavement, All Inclusive and the latest one, Seven. Seven has been chosen for the 2020 best books lists including Indigo Chapters, Apple Books, Amnesty International, CBC Books and more. A poetry collection You Still Look the Same will be released in fall of 2022. Farzana is also the masi behind Dear Masi, a new sex and relationships column for FGM/C survivors. She is also an activist, part-time psychotherapist and an amateur tarot card reader. Um along with this episode we are also doing a giveaway for her latest book 7 because that has been hands down one of the best books that I have read. So just be on the lookout for that um at both our Instagrams so that would just be at caffeinated brown girl for the show and at farzana doctor for farzana and you can find all these links in the description as well. So because the episode's so great I do not want to keep rambling on so let's just get into it. Hi Farzana, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm so excited to record this episode with you but also have this episode be the first one of season 3. I think we will be starting it off on a great note. Um you know, I read your book and I was absolutely in awe of everything and um I'm just looking forward to the conversation today. Why don't you start us off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for having me first of all on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Um so I think I'm best known for being a novelist, um but I'm also a poet and I'm a psychotherapist as well and I've been an activist around female genital cutting/mutilation slash, slash for the last um 5-6 years. amazing and yeah today we will be talking a lot about your latest book 7 and then how that relates to you know the broader work that you're doing with psychotherapy activism and then we also have a nice surprise at the end for everyone listening so That's um right. <laughs> yep so for those listeners who you know might not have read the book yet can you give a little bit of a synopsis of what does 7 talk about and what inspired you to write that book Absolutely yeah so um 7 is about um a 40 year old woman named Sharifa who goes to India on a marriage saving trip with her husband and 7 year old daughter he's on sabbatical there and um she thinks she's going to be spending her time doing some research about a revered ancestor in her family and homeschooling her kid but she arrives in India in 2016 where debates about katna which is the form of female genital cutting that happens in the Dawoodi Bora community which is the community that I was born into um those debates are raging and she needs to be able to sort out where she fits in all of that she has one cousin who is a big activist another cousin who is a bit more orthodox and believes that it's a normal thing to do and i just want to give um your listeners um an idea about 
the tone of the novel. It's a difficult subject for sure, but I paid a lot of attention to making sure that there was lightness and I embedded um, the female genital cutting story within a larger story about relationships and sexuality and marriage and so on, because I really wanted the reader to be able to digest uh, the material in um, a way that was also a pleasurable, you know, page turner kind of reading experience. Um, and the inspiration came for it. Um, back in 2015, I joined a group called We Speak Out, uh, which works in the Dawadibora community to end this practice. And it was a very emotional time in my life because I was also trying to figure out my own trauma around this issue. As well, um, I was not doing a lot of writing because I was promoting my previous uh, novel. And so I was just sitting down with my morning cup of coffee and these fully formed fictional scenes were just kind of like, you know, leaking out of me. So it was, it was just kind of happening. It was probably the most organic we written novel I've ever done. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I think, um, you know, when I first got the book, I was like, you know, that this is a heavy topic and there's so much to talk about. So I was interested in seeing like how that happens in a fictional uh, world. But, you know, you did an absolutely fantastic job because it was a page turner. I finished it in two days and like, it was so weaved into the story and, you know, all the characters like this was you know, a big part of the story, but this was not their only identity that we were, you know, coming across and their, um, you know, whether that's with their marriage or being a mother or, you know, cousins or like broader family um, dynamics. And you, I know like you had a big part of it, talk about the main character's great grandfather, like that was, uh, you know, an interesting twist too. But I think it was so weaved in that it felt very naturally like flowing in and Thank I think you. I think I think that's a very like from an outsider's perspective that's a very difficult thing to do with writing um but I think um that's that's also a different way of um talking about these things um while you know uh bringing together other topics in the spare too yeah so you know, as a, as a fiction writer, I think a lot about pacing and I think a lot about transitions and characters and settings. So with this book, especially because of the topic, I really put my novelist hat on first and my activist hat on second. Of course, you know, all these parts of ourselves um, come through in the writing, but I, I really was careful about thinking about, well, you know, most readers have never heard about the Dawoodi Bora community, one, so I needed to be able to share information about the community in a way that people could catch on. And hardly anyone has heard that female genital cutting happens in India, and um, maybe they've heard about it in other countries. So I needed to explain as well how this was going to be, how this, has, how this looks different, how it's a nuanced issue. So... I, I just really paid attention to the, all the aspects of storytelling that I could um, and lots of editing, lots of revision, lots of feedback from people. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, you bring up a great point. A lot of people don't know that, uh, not, don't know about the community, don't know that uh, female genital mutilation is a big thing in India. And so it's like, um, how do you first 
bring that awareness while um, also talking about the experiences and how the experiences may be different. Because as I was reading the book, I noticed like, you know, a lot of the characters, they had a very different reaction and a very different um, journey with it um for some people you know it affected them more than others for uh, some people it was a later realization than earlier and so um like you know when we think about something like this I think obviously it's like a it's a it's a it's a practice that you're working against you're working to like advocate for um ending it or what that looks like but I think there's a general um storyline around like this is how it impacts everyone and so I'm just wondering like you know based on the book it feels like no that's it's not as straightforward as that so um, yeah what are your thoughts there yes it's not straightforward I think like any form of sexual violence and that's uh, the continuum that we would put female genital cutting in um, everybody is going to be different right we all have different bodies and minds so Some survivors of gender-based violence will say it barely impacted me and others will say it had a huge impact on me and really harmed my life. And so the same goes for Katna. And um, I really wanted to present that because I wanted people to kind of understand that this is a nuanced issue. So so often when it comes to female genital cutting, mutilation, um, there can be this very... um, this, this kind of narrative that is alienating, especially to people from practicing communities. So, um, you know, the people who practice it might be called monsters or that it's a barbaric um, practice or backward, you know, these kinds of words really don't help with the dialogue. Um, they, it might be a little bit true, but, you know, it doesn't help with the dialogue. So I tried to present that this is actually a social norm that happens in the community because the vast majority of people don't know that it causes harm. We've been told by um, a religious leader all kinds of myths about why this is done and why it's so-called necessary. And um, I wanted to just explain like it's it's intergenerational violence. So the people who perpetrate it also were victims and they just didn't know. And after five, six years of education in the community, I would have Um, more expectation that those who are practicing it have come across this information and maybe are ignoring it. And then I would also have an expectation that those kind of who were, you know, kind of in the murky middle about all of this, like my character was, um, those people will have decided that this is harmful and that they should stop doing it. And it's illegal in most countries. And then of course, those who have never wanted to practice it might have some strength behind that. So the other piece too is that, um, you know, I'm a a psychotherapist and there can be a lot of myths about trauma too. So there's this idea that people remember it like a film. And in fact, that's just one way of remembering it. So I have the survivors in the story remembering in different ways. Some people can have complete amnesia. Some people can have kind of spotty memories. Sometimes it's more um, body memories and so on. So I wanted to present kind of like the nuances of everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it definitely did come across that way. Like it is very nuanced. And I think like, 
that's that's right as you said like a lot of people remember that trauma differently which might impact you know their journey with it too or there might be other factors playing too so it's not like um a one path um i do want to get back to like you know the whole conversation of like what like it's be it being intergenerational and who should we blame but before that um you know like right now we're talking about this in one community but something that we you and I discussed earlier that this is not like an isolated thing that's just happening in the Davidi Bora community so can you like talk a little bit about the statistics or just like um yes. the incidences of it happening in other parts of the world because i think there's this myth that uh, something like this only happens in quote unquote like developing countries or like uh, are not somewhere like the US or the West but um yeah would just like love to hear a little bit more on that yeah so um it's happening in 92 countries across the world and counting in the last 5 years there has been an upsurge of uh activism and more survivors coming forward We're kind of having an a me too mo- mo- moment or movement around fgm which is very uh encouraging i think So um for listeners who are based in the US they should know that until 1977 female circumcision was covered by health insurance plans so um there have been some uh, white christian women who have come forward to talk about their experience um we assume that this is happening in Canada too I'm from Canada um and then it, you know I said 92 countries so we're talking about parts of Africa parts of the Middle East across Asia and East Asia uh we're talking about Russia and Colombia and South America and then you know practicing communities in all of their diasporic places across the world as well so it's happening in a big way um it's a big issue big invisible issue um it's so taboo to talk about um every 10 seconds is the current statistic of how often um a girl or a girl who was assigned uh someone who was assigned a girl at birth um it's happening to every 10 seconds that's um, yeah mm-hmm. that's 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 frequent like yes yes and i think the global issue here is that it's the number one reason i think people understand that it's happening is as a way to control sexuality of course it doesn't control sexuality sexuality is such a more complicated thing. Uh but that's the number one reason. Also, it can be about a sense of belonging or as an initiatory right in a community. Um in some communities it makes girls more marriageable, I'm putting in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um so it's this pervasive form of sexual violence that's not unrelated to rape culture or um the ways that our bodies are policed in general as women or non-binary people yeah i think those are all great points firstly like the statistics like 1977 isn't that long ago when we yeah. think about it and it being covered under insurance like that's you know like that's just like an open we are saying like yeah this is normal like yeah like this is something we do but also the fact like every 10 seconds like that is very frequent and i think like as you said i didn't know about this issue before i read your book and that's because this is not something it's so like 
it's so private and hidden yeah and it's happening um like you know under the covers so that we're not talking about it even though it's happening in 92 con- countries across continents and um bearing those boundaries that we might you know otherwise think um but i also agree with the point that this is a, a part of like a broader topic of policing um people's sexualities and their bodies like you know when uh this is a narrative that goes around a lot in india um specifically like oh like you know she was dressed this way and that's why this happened which is not true but then it's like oh you shouldn't dress this way um and then you would be fine but no that doesn't solve the problem we have numerous cases that prove that um and i think what you talked about like belongingness i think that um to me seems like what contributes to it being intergenerational and people finding it difficult to like break that cycle um because you know it's not something that's being widely talked about it's happening in a certain community and you know it's you've been like you like as a person uh might be taught that okay this is why this is right this is why we should do it and if that's the narrative that um a person's hearing the cycle is going to continue yeah so yeah so like i think i would just like like chat a little bit more about like how and i know in the book you explored this quite a bit too like um you know aunts and like older uh, family members who may have perpetuated the practice and like the characters like conflict with how they perceive that person yeah. um who is really to blame here and like um you know somebody yeah. breaks the cycle eventually but uh, what about the people who weren't able to Mhm. So who's to blame? So I put the blame very squarely on global patriarchy, number 1, and then I would put the blame next on our leader, our religious leader who um creates this very false, very harmful narrative and because people uh love him and are taught not to contradict him. they feel that he must be saying like the right thing and so they follow along and then third i would say to blame would be those people who do have the information but deny the reality of it who um are unwilling to think for themselves because i i would say that as we've begun to normalize this conversation and take it out of the shadows you know we we are providing this counter narrative um to all the myths that people have been taught so um i would say that's that's how you know i would put the blame and i think on all three levels that's that's what needs to be accountable so we have to fight the global patriarchy uh we have to expose the lies of the religious leaders all across the world who might be doing this and then we have to call out the people who have this information and choose to deny it so a, an example of that is um a us born bora doctor um in michigan was charged with nine counts of cutting girls most of those charges got dropped because of a legal loophole which has since been filled but you know let's let's think about this a doctor who is willing to do this is denying 
sex and sex education. They're denying anatomical um, knowledge. You know, they're they're denying that this is a painful, um, traumatic process. So that's where I would. Those are the levels that I would blame. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think we talked about this a little bit, but it does relate to the patriarchy and how you know it's it's all about controlling uh people who are not uh straight men <laughs> i think like it's yeah. all a, it's all a part of that um and i think not just this situation but you know like religion and religious leaders play a big role across religions um and across situations and like influencing people in following you know things blindly like Mm -hmm. um I think there are countless examples of this and sometimes um you know like I don't have much information on what what compels people to you know listen and but I know there's like it's not as straightforward as just being like oh yeah don't listen to that person because if it was like we would have had the solution long ago and I think Um, also um in small insular communities we're much more likely to go with the dominant narrative because in, in small insular communities, there might be social shunning. Um, we're much more interdependent financially with people. So an example of this is um, some of our activists do the work anonymously because they're um, very connected to the community or their parents are. And we had a situation where Um, Someone was doing activism on Facebook and her father was approached and told, we will boycott your store if she doesn't stop. So this is part of why I think sometimes people don't challenge what's happening. Yeah, it's like if you challenge, then you're an outlier and like uh, most people are not going to challenge the situation so being that soul or like, uh, like just, you know, one of few, um, like yeah you might have repercussions like I see this you know when I think about India and like uh, the Hindu nationalism that's going on if anybody whether you know you're like um, an activist you are either like shunned you get death threats you're jailed for posting something on Instagram that's literally just questioning uh, what the government's doing and I think like that's really problematic in a democracy so it's it's frightening Yeah, it's frightening because the thing is then if you speak out, you are in danger. And if you don't speak out, then, you know, the problem keeps perpetuating and the people in power just keep getting more and more in power. And it's like, again, a system to control. Um, But yeah, that's how I see it. Like it's it's so it's easier said than done to like speak up and do something about it um you know but the people actually taking uh initiative whether this it's you know when we talk about female genital mutilation or other other issues it's it's really difficult to do that because yes. you know all eyes are on you yes. um and yeah like I feel like a lot of the communities that you know, like I talk a lot about South Asian communities and a lot of the communities that we see in our spaces are very problematic when it comes to something like this. Right. And, you know, there's lots of ways to get involved without being public too. If you feel, you know, you just can't because of the risk to yourself and your family. So 
one of the things that we've noticed is that if people just broach the subject with their loved ones, um, people will open up. It's difficult because we're talking about a trauma and that can, you know, if you've experienced it yourself, you can feel quite squeamish talking about it. Um, but this book, you know, has also been a way to really open up these conversations. I'm finding, um, and this is kind of a great thing, I think, is that, you know, before I would be very uncomfortably broaching the subject with people with mixed results. But now, because I have this novel that's addressing the subject, it's just so much easier to have the conversation. I'm no longer having to broach the subject. People are coming to me to talk about it. and. Um, I think that's one of the good things about writing any kind of novel that discusses social justice issues is that, you know, the reader is getting to have a, uh, an interesting read, um, but they're also getting to learn about communities they don't know anything about and social justice issues that they've never thought about or haven't thought about much. And that's certainly why I read novels as well, is to gain that understanding and empathy so that's that's been a an interesting thing, and I hope that this novel gets published in India soon. Uh, my agents are still working on that because I would really love to see um, this this these issues and this book get a bit more space there. Yeah, um, you know, you bring up a great point. Like it can be very emotionally taxing and difficult to bring up this conversation and to do it over and over again too but like when you have this novel you know people are picking it up somewhere or you know they read it and then they start questioning maybe what they've heard and learned and maybe they're like okay I had no idea about this like myself and be like I want to learn more now like you know and um advocate in any way I can but um, something I was just wondering you know once this so right now this novel it's not published in India but everywhere wherever else it is like what has been um, the reaction that you've received with the release of the book? So um, I think with the non-Boras um, I've been hearing that people have been very interested to hear about this issue. I've also heard a lot of people say um, I was a little scared to pick up this book. I thought it would be too heavy, but then I read it in two days. So exactly kind of, you know, what you said about <laughs> yeah. reading it in two days. So um, that's been the reaction that it is a very immersive uh, kind of reading experience. Um, with the Bora community people who I've spoken with, there's been a couple of reactions. One is um, I was able to talk to my mom about this. This is the first time we've been able to talk about it. Another woman told me that um, this was the first time she really confronted Katna in her own experience and um, worked through some of the trauma that she had experienced. So that was really heartwarming. And I think in general, um, people are also kind of interested in the India part of the story. Uh, North American readers love reading about India. And I have a number of um, scenes that take place in Bandra and um, some in uh, Dolka in Gujarat and um, a couple of scenes in, in Goa as well. And, you know, it's, it's fun to read about maybe a place that you're, you're aching to revisit or visit, you know? <laughs> Definitely. I didn't, uh, maybe I missed this, but I didn't realize a lot, like the Mumbai scenes were based in Bandra because that's where a lot of my family lives. So, um, you know, definitely a place that I'm aching to be at. Um, but no, I think, you know, what 
what that makes me think is that reading is such a private experience but at the same time it's one that you can share so it's like you know you read personally and then people do book clubs but whether it's like talking one-on-one to someone it's just a great way of starting the conversation versus like putting someone in a discussion circle and be like speak or listen I think that can be tougher because you know uh, it's being vulnerable versus reading is such a private experience that it allows an individual to like think about it themselves um, and then bring it to other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also talking about, you know, complex issues like this through characters um, can be fun. You know, I've had book club conversations with people where they're like, oh my God, she made this terrible decision. And, you know, was that really cheating? And, you know, so so people can engage with these kinds of issues and their thoughts about these issues. And, you know, what does it mean to be human and to make, you know, mistakes? And, you know, sexuality has come up a lot in conversations because that's also, you know, it fits because Katna's sexual violence, I needed to show my character um, exploring her sexuality and the impacts on her sexuality. So there's been a lot of uh, questions and comments about the sex scenes in this book as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and I think one thing I really appreciated is that you didn't make the characters like one dimensional like it wasn't like this person just has one aspect of the identity and that's them. There was so much going on but it didn't at the same time it didn't feel like there was so much going on that I was getting confused like it was you know very like straightforward but each character whether it's like the main character her husband her daughter like her cousins aunts the great-grandfather anybody I felt like there was so many parts of their identity that I was realizing and like you know as you said like making them human uh, because a lot of times and I feel like this is probably done more by um, writers who are writing about a community or like uh, an experience that they haven't had. So, you know, a white writer writing about India, for example, like or like writing about someone who's Muslim, for example, they might just make it seem very one dimensional, like Mm -hmm. very conservative. That's 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 the identity box. But it's that's not true. like and so I really appreciated like getting to know these characters as human beings who have you know this one experience and a thing that they're grappling with and like trying to um you know come to their realization or whatever that that is but also other aspects of their life that are playing into the mix Thank you. Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, you you kind of highlighted some of the own voices that the hashtag own voices um, issues that are arising these days that there is such strength, I think, being able to write about one's own community, because, um, you know, while this is fiction, um, you know, because fiction is always more interesting than, you know, anyone's individual life. Um, I have met a lot of Bora people. I know, you know, that there's this whole spectrum of experience. There's a whole spectrum of religiosity. There's a whole spectrum of belief and practice. And um, I know that, you know, these are quirky people. These are fun people. These are interesting people. These are generous people. And in some book club conversations, um, predominantly with um, white book club members, there's been a lot of conversation about Muslim men. And, um, you know, my experience in my own community is that the Muslim men are very gentle and respectful. Now, they're not perfect. And, 
that's not every man or every Muslim man, but that has been my experience. And so that's, those are the kind of men I write often in my books. And so there's been an opportunity even to counter like Islamophobic notions that people have about Muslims and Muslim men. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think like we need, like I was actually listening to another podcast that talks, you know, it's again like a South Asian based podcast, but they feature a lot of creatives and like um, they recently had someone who works in like the movie industry. And like, again, we're talking, they were talking about the same thing. Like our communities, our people, they're not one dimensional and um, they're not the stereotype like not everybody is the stereotype that is presented out and right now it's time that we change that so I think there's so much you know there's so much power in doing that um, but yeah I think I just love seeing like people as their own people and I think that that's what made the characters really real for me like you know it was and I think that's what made made the book also go by so quickly for me and I was like just like into it because I was like you know I feel like I'm literally looking into people's lives right now um so thank you for doing that thank you for reading it (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I want to talk a little bit about you know your activism work and like your psychotherapy um you know when we talked earlier you told me like you were an activist teenager um so why don't why don't we start there and then um, (laughs) tell us how you got into psychotherapy and what your approach to therapy is because I feel like every therapist has a different approach um Mm -hmm. so would love to Mm -hmm. learn a little bit more about that yeah you know I think I was an activist teenager because I had um parents who were Uh, really good at questioning um, lots of things that were happening in our political world. So um, credit goes to them. Um, But I did start quite young um, with environmental issues and feminist issues and LGBT issues. And um, also, um, you know, as I became a writer, I got more involved in writing community and trying to create change within writing community. So that's sort of what my trajectory has been. And, you know, when We Speak Out was starting to form in 2015, it just made so much sense. And it was such a heartwarming experience as well to be able to join a group of Bora feminists. I had never been part of a group like that or had met anyone who explicitly called themselves a Bora feminist before. So that, that felt like home for me. And um, it was in my... Um, late late teens early 20s that I got more involved in gender-based violence and when I was finishing up my third year of university I got a job um, as a relief counselor at a women's shelter and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life because I needed to find you know good work and so that's how I ended up going to into social work because there's you know the capacity in every line of work, by the way, but especially in social work to address social justice issues. So that's sort of how I ended up there. And then many years later, I went into private practice and um, that has really enabled me to have more writing time. Um, I write in the morning, I see clients in the afternoon and I I love my private practice. Um, It feels like sacred work to see clients. Yeah. And one other piece where I've tried to marry the two is 
in the last little while I've been doing, um, I've been writing a column called Dear Masi. And Dear Masi is a sex and relationships column for survivors of FGM. And um, that's been important to me to talk about relationships and sex in relationship to Katna, especially, and also healing. Mm-hmm. Um, healing is possible. Healing takes work. Healing is available. And I think people don't always know that. Yeah, definitely. So where is that column being put out? Mm-hmm. It's um, done. It's a partnership between a group called Sayo, S-A-H-I-Y-O.com. That's where it's housed. And it's a partnership with We Speak Out as well. So if you just Google Dear Masi and Sayo, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. It's also um, the link is available in my link tree on my bio. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll be sure to like link it in the description you know in case anybody um, wants to check that out but yeah like thank you for sharing that I think like it's always interesting to see people's journeys you know to the work that they're doing and how um, how they got there and um, yeah I loved hearing about that I think one thing that might be useful you know for our listeners to know is like we talked about how female genital mutilation is a thing that now we're talking about more even you know as a broader world Um, and it's a it's a it's a part of broader activism and women's rights Um, so how can someone you know whether this is an experience that they've been through or whether they're just an ally, like how can someone um, move that conversation forward or do their part to support um, um, and help those around them? Yeah, I would say um, follow some of the anti FGM groups um, on social media. It's really helpful if you can amplify those messages by sharing and retweeting and so on. So we speak out is at um, Speak Out on FGM. And uh, we also have petition links on our, all of our social media as well that we ask people to, um, to complete. Um, but there's, there's so many organizations. If you, wherever you are, there's probably an organization or a network working on this. This is, there's a really robust anti-FGM movement happening right now. So join in, even if you have 10 minutes a week to be able to share messages, or if you have a little bit more time, volunteer in a bigger way, because it's, it's all pretty much volunteer-led um, and it's survivor-led, but allies are always welcome. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's a great way to contribute, whether you have 10 minutes a week or 10 hours a week, like wherever in between um, doing our part. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that and this conversation um, as a whole. Before we close off, though, um, I do want to mention that. So since this episode is like, you know, us kicking off season three for the podcast um, and the book is just so amazing, uh, we will be doing a book giveaway the same week that the episode releases. So that is week of May 10th. Um, If you're listening, then, you know, you get an early 8 a.m. morning preview of this. Otherwise, just keep an eye out on our social media. So the podcast is at Caffeinated Brown Girl. Um, and then Farzana, can you please tell like um, your Instagram handles where people can also follow and keep an eye out for the giveaway? Yes, I'm just at Farzana Doctor actually across all social media. So that's F-A-R-Z-A-N-A-D-O-C-T-O-R. 
perfect and um, the giveaway will be um, North America based so you know if you are um, located any of those areas definitely participate um, and even if not like check out the um, book uh, and like get it and I think it's it's a great read that everybody um, listening to this show would definitely enjoy and learn a lot from. And can I mention too that it's available in all formats, including audiobook, because you know people are doing a lot more audiobook listening. I know I am, and um, the actors have done such a terrific job in um, bringing the characters to life. Yeah. So, um, what are some places people can like buy or get the book from? Can you share? I would that? say go to go to your independent bookstore wherever you are. Always indies first, and yeah. if you don't have one locally. Um, in the U.S., there's um, uh, a platform called Bookshop, um, and then there's also Libro for audiobooks in the U.S. In Canada, of course, you know all of your indie bookstores as well. Um, I guess uh, if you uh, if you don't have one, you can you know go to the Amazon or Indigo link. So. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, check out your indie bookstores you hear, and those you independent. Can hear I can hear my sentence to give the Amazon link. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I didn't want to say like, oh, look at it on Amazon. Because if it's available at other places and other websites that might be more independent and smaller, definitely support those. Bookstores are my favorite places in the world. And I hate seeing like, you know, one after the other closed down. So like um, support those. But thank you so much for this conversation today. I think it was absolutely wonderful. And thank you for sharing the story and um, the book. I I'm I'm visiting one of my cousins in May and I'm literally taking the book for her to read because she was like you know I need a new book to read and I'm like you should check out seven and I'll bring it to you so thank you so much and thank you so much for this interview Pallavi you're doing a great job and serving the community by doing this so I really appreciate it Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Caffeinated Brown Girl Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording with Farzana. And be sure that you're on the lookout for the giveaway going out on Instagram on Thursday, May 13th. The giveaway for the book 7 um, will be open for a week and you can find more details um, on Instagram. If you're also listening to this episode through Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a review and rate the show and feel free to reach out to me with any other feedback or thoughts that you may have on this episode or the show in general really excited for um, all that's to come for the next few episodes in this season so stay tuned i will talk to you next time but until then bye bye